1: This
3: is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to get into this issue of herd immunity. If you caught Donald Trump's town hall with George Stephanopoulos on ABC News, George was basically, you know, he said, well, what are you going to do about the virus? And Trump said, well, it's just going to go away. And George was like, well, how does that happen? And Trump was like, well, you know, when enough people get infected, you no longer have the disease spreading. It's called herd. And he started to say immunity and then realized you can't use that phrase. That phrase is like, you know, it's just a word you don't say in polite company anymore. What was it, Hancock, Hitchcock, whatever his name is, you know, the uh, health minister of the UK had used that phrase for a while and Boris Johnson had used that phrase for a while and they just got trashed for it. And by the way, because they basically pissed away months of time trying their herd immunity strategy and killing thousands of people in the process, now the UK is going back into lockdown because they didn't do it right. And they never did the extensive testing and contact tracing. See, the problem is that once you have an infection level above a certain threshold, And that's going to vary depending on geography and population density and the size of the country and how porous the borders are. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of variables here. But basically, once your infection level goes above a certain point, contact tracing and testing become damn near impossible. I mean, you can still test, but contact trace? Oh, okay, you just tested positive. Who have you seen in the last two weeks? And you discover that, hey, 20% of the people that they've come into contact with are infected. So you don't know where it came from. So the strategy that the UK employed and the strategy that the Trump administration is employing right now are going to make it really, really difficult for the next prime minister of the United Kingdom, or even Boris Johnson if he sticks around, or the next president of the United States, or even Trump if he wins another term or steals another term, I mean, let's be honest about this. But in particular, if Joe Biden is president, it's going to make it very difficult for them to test and contact trace their way out of this because so many people will be carrying the virus. And this is, I believe, an intentional strategy on the part of the Trump administration. You will recall back in April and May and June. Those of you who are longtime viewers or listeners to this program will remember... Very clearly, my saying over and over and over again, it is obvious to me that these guys are pursuing a herd immunity strategy. That whole thing, everything shifted on April 7th, as I've pointed out many times. On April 7th, that was the day that suddenly we all discovered that more black people and brown people were dying from this than white people. And in fact, it's in the neighborhood of 80% of all the deaths now are minorities or people who have serious other conditions. And only about 20% are white people who are not elderly, who are dying. And so at that point, the Trump administration, and there've been a couple of good stories about this, they were one day scandals that then kind of dropped into the memory hole, that then the Trump administration said, well, hey, if it's killing black people, and it's killing people in blue states, And that was the argument, apparently, that Jared Kushner made. It's killing people in the blue states. Why are we bothering to come up with a national program? And so they abandoned it in the middle of April and said, let's go for herd immunity. You know, it's going to kill off a lot of brown and black people, and, and, you know, the elderly, hey, that'll save us money on Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, and so let's just do this. Now, back in, back some time before that, Trump had said something quite different. This was from five months ago. He said, and I quote, if we did follow that approach, he's talking about herd immunity, I think we'd have two million people dead. The UK tried it, the herd approach, okay, herd, and they tried it, and you saw what happened in the UK. It set them back a lot of time. It's been, you know, you're having a tough time. Other countries have tried it. Sweden is suffering greatly. I mean, Sweden is suffering greatly. Well, now he's got Scott Atlas in there, the uh, Fox News uh, radiologist who does a great job of uh, doing television, but apparently as a physician and certainly as an epidemiologist in which he has absolutely no training, he's an idiot. And he's been promoting this idea of herd immunity. Well, even if we did herd immunity in the United States, which would mean probably at least two million deaths. And yes, most of those people who die would be older people. But even if we did that, you would have tens of millions of people, and nobody's talking about this. I mean, I keep bringing up these scientific studies. uh, You'd have tens of millions of people with permanent heart damage, strokes, dementia, chronic fatigue, and all the other long-term health conditions that we don't know how long they're gonna last, but we know that people who got the infections back in February and March and April still have right? They still have heart disease. They still have uh, heart inflammation. They still have, you know, organ damage in their spleen and liver and kidneys. They still have damage to their eyes. They still have strokes in their brain. Some of them are still, you know, having to write post-it notes to remember things because their short-term memory is just shot, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Atlas is saying, well, masks are not effective. Well, you know, Redfield, the head of the CDC said, you know, a mask is actually more effective than a vaccine, and he's absolutely right. If everybody's wearing masks, you know, basically you don't need the vaccine. That's how Taiwan reached the point where they have not had a case of community transmission in Taiwan since April 12th. We got our first case on January 20th. They got their first case on January 21st. And they have not had a case since April 12th and they haven't had a death in months in Taiwan because they did testing and contact tracing. But Trump, no, no, it's insane. And, I, you know, the question, I guess, well, you know, one of the questions is how much of this is being fueled by white supremacy and how much is just Trump being lazy? You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. The Trump administration has not yet said it out loud that they're going for a herd immunity strategy. They have not said it out loud yet, but Trump was talking about herd mentality and how the virus will simply vanish when a certain threshold of people get infected. That's called herd immunity and it requires about 70% of the population to get the disease. And if 70% of the population gets the disease and we have about a 3% death rate right now here in the United States, you know, 70% of 340 million Americans is 200 and what, some some odd uh, million Americans. You take that number and, and multiply it times 3% and you end up with roughly 6 million people dying as the, I was going to say as the result or consequence, but it's like the intended result of a herd immunity strategy. You kill off the vulnerable and uh, you know only the strong are left standing, which is a phrase that I think probably sounds really good to people like Donald Trump and Bill Barr and Scott Atlas, although Donald Trump and Bill Barr, both being old and obese, would probably be among the first to die from this thing. not that i 'm wishing that on anybody i wouldn 't i mean we're increasingly we 're learning that this virus. You know, not only would we have six million dead Americans in the United States if we continue pursuing this policy. The Trump administration has stopped advising states. They've gotten control of the CDC and they've stopped advising states to have mask mandates. No more masks. As Bill Barr said, that's the same as slavery. I mean, this is nuts. And by the way, it's not just the deaths. I mean, yeah, six million dead people, but, you know, for every one death, you're going to have two, three, five, ten people. Who knows? I mean, we're just starting to figure out the statistics of people who are simply sick. The long haulers, there are people who literally have never recovered from COVID. We, again, we don't know what percentage it is. It's higher than the percentage of people who are dying. So it's more than 3%. But beyond that, we haven't yet been able to figure it out. There are some indicators here and there, but These are people who are just, they just haven't gotten over it. You've got people who are experiencing strokes and micro strokes and mini strokes. You've got people who are experiencing dementia from having had COVID. In the United Kingdom, they looked at a group of people who were fully recovered and none of them had been so seriously sick that they needed to be intubated. A couple of them were hospitalized to give oxygen, but that was it. These were people with mild to moderate cases and about 80% of them had heart damage. We have athletes, top-level athletes in the United States with heart damage now as a result of having had COVID. So, and that's just the beginning. I mean, this appears to damage the liver, the spleen, the kidneys, the eyes. I mean, it's just like it, it has the potential to damage any organ in the body. So with a herd immunity strategy, not only do you have 6 million dead, but you probably got 20, 30, 40 million permanently disabled Americans. Can you imagine just the cost of that? If suddenly 30 million Americans qualify for Social Security disability insurance? Oh, that's right. Trump's plan ends Social Security in three years. I forgot. He issued an executive order that says that do not deduct Social Security taxes any longer from people's paychecks. And he's putting it into place with our military. They're going to get a big bill in December if he doesn't get reelected. If he does get reelected, then he says he's just going to make it permanent, which means no more Social Security starting three years from now, period. Goes to zero. So why would he do this? Is it that he just wants to destroy America? I mean, is he doing this because some foreign leader who hates this country told him to? Or is he doing it because, hey, if you want to play golf every day or, you know, one day out of three, he's played golf more than one day out of three in his presidency. If you want to play golf every day and you want to watch six or eight hours of Fox News every day, then the easiest way to run the country is not to do anything. And herd immunity means, hey, we don't have to do anything. And at the same time, you've got Republicans in the House and Senate who are like basically creating this, well, let's let 6 million people die caucus. By the way, when was the last time I heard the phrase a policy that killed 6 million people? This is a Holocaust, or it will be if Trump has his way. And for some baffling reason, the media is largely ignoring this story. I mean, maybe it's because it's so hard to believe that the president of the United States would sit around with with his scientific advisors, Dr. Scott Atlas, this radiologist that he got from Fox News, and say, well, yeah, it's only six million dead people. You know, there's a lot of people in this country who are old or who are out of shape or or who have that pre-existing condition of dark skin. And, uh, you know, if they die off, you know, what's the big deal? This is the guy who brought us a failed steak company, a failed vodka company, a failed airline, a failed school, several failed casinos, if you can even imagine that, and even a real estate empire that was failing so badly it had to be bailed out by foreign billionaires, by oligarchs from other countries. Donald Trump doesn't know how to run a business. It shouldn't surprise us that he doesn't know how to run a country. And his latest failure, tragically, is the United States of America. But running a bunch of companies into the ground doesn't kill 6 million people and disable 20 or 30 or 40 million. I mean, i got to say, Trump's new herd mentality strategy is uh, for dealing with the coronavirus is beyond incompetent. It is, frankly, I think, evil. I mean, this is nuts. And now we've got another case of an American, this was just published in The Guardian, Jessica Glenza, A man in Nevada was infected with COVID back in March. He recovered, he tested negative, and then he got reinfected. He got reinfected with a different strain of the virus. His original infection was the Asia strain. His reinfection was the Europe strain. Which, if this gets replicated, right now it's one case in America, one case in Hong Kong. If this gets replicated, then it means that the coronavirus is going to be like the common cold. Which is to say, you can't develop a vaccine for that, and you can't get immunity for that, because it's constantly mutating, and then the immunity doesn't go to the mutations. That's why we've never been able, ever, and we've been working on this for 100 years, against the coronavirus called the common cold. This is crazy. This is crazy stuff. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to NetSuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Uh, Mary in Arlington, Texas. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today?
4: Yes, thank you, Tom. I'm sorry I don't speak as well as you used to. I've had a stroke. I've lost my daughter to COVID. This man is killing us. He is putting us in prison. And we've had a terrible time here.
3: Me I'm too. so sorry to hear about your daughter. Tell us uh, tell us about her, Mary.
4: She was a precious job. She um, was so afraid that she'd give it to me so afraid that she's going to give it to me and you know, she had everything going for her she was of course on the front line one of the ones that going to serve on the front line but as I say this man is killing us he is taking yeah. us to the front and as I say can we put him in jail is he no. not doing
3: sedition? Well, you know that's that's kind of an yeah, it's kind of an open question, Mary. I mean, we now have the attorney general saying that the people who are protesting, who are you know, doing property huh? damage, yeah, huh? right, are themselves uh, engaged in sedition. Mary, thank you for the call. I, I wish you the very best, and I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter. This is mind-boggling. I mean, that the president of the United States would take a science advisor from Fox News, a radiologist who has never worked in the field of infectious diseases, a guy who makes his living doing MRI scans of people's brains, and he would put this guy in charge of our coronavirus policy. And then when the director of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, comes out and says, well, yeah, these masks will save your lives. You know, the mask is more effective than a vaccine, which is mind boggling, but I mean, that's how Taiwan did it. Taiwan has not had a case of community spread since April 12th. Life is back to normal in Taiwan. They've got this virus under control. They're not having deaths. They're not having long-term disabilities. How did they do it? Well, they didn't shut down their economy, and that seems to be the thing that Donald Trump is trying to avoid. Okay, fine. Let's not shut down the economy. Just have everybody wear a friggin' mask and do testing and contact tracing. That's all they did in Taiwan. That's all it took. But you've got to catch it before half the population has it. I mean, there are certain points that you hit where there's so many people who are infected that you can no longer do testing and contact tracing. You know, because it's just, it's so ubiquitous. People have, well, I don't know where I got it from. I saw five different people who it turned out were infected. And that's what Trump is trying to get us to. It looks to me like... This is a campaign to simply destroy this country. I just, I'm just astonished. So it turns out back in November, the spy agencies in the United States were notifying the Trump administration that something's going on in China. Looks like another SARS outbreak. Maybe we should get ready for this. It was ignored. I've got a new video up over at TomHartman.com that basically goes through the whole timeline all the way from, well, actually going back to 2018 when Trump disbanded three different anti-pandemic agencies in the Department of Homeland Security, the National Security Council and the executive branch. Just closed them down, fired the people. That was the end of that. How he ignored the intelligence in November. He ignored the intelligence in December. He ignored the epidemic now coming into the United States in January. He ignored it in February. Just going the blow by th- blow timeline. And I think it's really worth having it all in one place. You know, a good recap, a good summary of this that you can refer to and you can share with your friends. It's all over at tomhartman.com. You can check it out. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. This is mind-boggling. The meatpacking folks, the meatpacking industry, particularly Smithfield Foods, a company owned by China, but one of the largest meatpackers in the United States, and an awful lot of their product goes to China. Donald Trump issued this executive order saying to, by and large, low-wage workers, the average pay seems to be around 13 bucks an hour, in these meatpacking plants, where it would be possible if you slowed down the assembly lines somewhat and spaced people out a little more, it would be possible to safely process meat. But these companies don't want to do that because that would reduce their profits. We're talking about multi-billion dollar companies and insanely profitable companies. But they don't want to slow down the lines and so literally hundreds of people have died in these meat processing plants over 10,000 people have become infected. And Donald Trump issued an executive order forcing them back to work without requiring the companies to change anything to make those workplaces safer. And people are dying in these places. And then this little slap on the wrist, $13,400 fine for 200 dead people. You know, I mean, this is crazy. And that was Smithfield's uh, Sioux Falls plant, again, a company, a Chinese-owned company. But to make things even more bizarre, even worse, I mean, you may have already heard this part of the story. It was covered on MSNBC fairly extensively on Rachel Matters Show. But to make things even worse, it turns out that that executive order was drafted by the meatpacking industry there's an article about this over on common dreams it's reprinted over on raw story usda meatpacking industry collaborated to undermine covid 19 response documents show they've got it they have got it tied down and i mean this is this is just absolutely wrong for lack of a better phrase so anyhow let's pick up some of your phone calls here martha in menominee wisconsin hey martha what's on your mind today
1: Hey, Tom, I want to add to some suggestion that people call stores that aren't enforcing the mask mandate. I can do one better. Locally, I guess, I did a major overturn here in the state of Wisconsin. There's a large, largest chain of convenience stores in the state owned by a very conservative family out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Went in there on the day that our governor, Tony Evers, mask mandate went into effect. And, of course, they weren't enforcing it, had no signs up. I was at the cashier and I asked her if they were going to ask the gentleman behind me who was sneezing to put on a mask and she said, we've been directed by company not to institute any confrontations. I said, well, then I can't shop here, sorry. I left, got home, I was bothered, called corporate headquarters, asked for PR, got a nice man on the phone and I said, I ain't got a problem, you're not enforcing the governor's mandate. Do you not care about your employees or your customers? And they said, well, you know, we've been getting a lot of calls both ways. I said, well, just so you know, we're giving you three days to get masks to give out, to put up signs you're enforcing it. And otherwise, we go on Facebook, Instagram, and we're going to let the kids on TikTok have it. We're instituting a hashtag boycott. I won't say the name of the store. Hashtag boycott, insert name of store. And I said, the theme of the boycott is going to be really name of store. A company from Bentonville, Arkansas, cares more about the residents of Wisconsin, meaning Walmart, because Walmart is enforcing the mask mandate Mm -hmm. in my town. And I said, uh, we're going to go viral with this. It's going to be all over. We're giving you three days. Guess what happened three days later? They instituted the mask mandate. They've got signs up in all their stores. So the voice of one person can make a difference. It can make a difference. And I want everybody to... You know, don't just call the store. You can do more. And if you're not socially, you know, active on social media, enlist enlist some friends that are. So Margaret Mead was right.
3: (laughs) But, yeah, never doubt that a small group of people can't change the world. Indeed, that's the only way it ever happens. Uh, You know, you are a a warrior goddess, Martha. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us and giving us all a role model to emulate. Thanks, Tom. Thank you yeah good talking to you Shay in Jacksonville Florida hey Shay what's up
2: good afternoon Tom hey Shay I am I am so just absolutely flabbergasted right now and I'm almost at the point of despondency I'm aggravated and irritated I'm pretty much a even-headed and happy person but there's just so much going on right now um and I'm mm-hmm. frustrated because of the fact that. Vice President Biden is not hitting back on the lies uh, more consistently that Trump is telling by saying that, you know, well, there are a lot of people out there doing that, and most people are aware of his lies. Yeah, but nobody else is running for president but Vice President Biden and Trump. This is not the time to pull back and not also understand that this is a PR, public relations campaign. That's a lot of it. And if you are not able to convey the proper messaging, if you are not out there being able to get your base excited and to know that you are going to fight for them, then you're not going to have them really fighting the way that they need to fight in order to out Trump. And to so when Trump when Trump went out to California,
3: Shay, forgive the interruption, uh-huh. we just have 30 seconds. Sure. When Trump sure. went out to California, Biden came out and said he's a climate arsonist. After Trump's performance on ABC, Biden came out and said it was filled with lies. They are pushing back. I guess. I just, I don't know. I mean... It just, um, it just doesn't I'll, get the publicity.
2: Ask, yeah, I'm... There's just something missing. <laughs> um, yeah. And as far as, as uh, whether it's Trump or white supremacist, it's both. Mm-hmm. He's lazy and he's a white supremacist, and all the people that support him, a yeah. large portion of them are.
3: Amen. I, I absolutely agree. Say, You're thank listening you. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com
1: for audio and video archives.
3: It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from The Meat Racket, the secret takeover of America's food business by Christopher Leonard. Uh, This is from the prologue. Uh, It's titled The Hidden King. Nobody ever visits the stranded little community of Waldron, Arkansas. But even if they did, a tourist would never see the place for what it really is. Most outsiders would be fooled into thinking it was an actual small town. On any given morning, the residents awaken and begin their routine along Main Street. Old men park their pickup trucks by the curb in front of the Rock Cafe, which opens early for breakfast. As the cafe's booths and tables fill up, a congregation of old-timers and cowboy hats gathers in a loose ring of aluminum chairs out front, smoking and talking and stubbing out their cigarette butts in a bucket full of sand. Later in the morning, Chambers Bank in the south end of town opens up and the tellers cheerfully greet customers by name. On Thursday at noon, the livestock auction opens in a cavernous barn on the north side of town, drawing crowds of ranchers who haul steel trailers behind their trucks, with cows staring out between the horizontal slats. In the late afternoon, teenagers park their cars by the gazebo south of the auction barn, proudly displaying their Mustangs and Broncos like big-game trophies. These events have a rhythm of their own, the clockwork functioning of a small-town economy. But it's all just window dressing, All of it would cease to exist in a moment and have no impact whatsoever on the true Waldron or its true economic reason for being. The real tempo of the town's economic pulse is measured by the coming and going of semi-trucks that roll down Main Street at periodic intervals, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In the middle of the night, tanker trucks full of animal feed rumble past the empty stores and out onto country roads that lead into the hilly terrain that surrounds town. At dawn, other trucks trundle in from the hills— heaped high with battered metal crates full of chickens that exude clouds of white feathers along the highway. The tempo can be measured in the regular arrival of train cars full of grain and oil seeds that dump their loads at a feed mill that clanks and hums and churns all night. And in the parade of refrigerated trucks that pull up to a slaughterhouse near the feed mill and get loaded with pallets of frozen meat. This is the real functioning of Waldron, Arkansas, and its true reason for being. This is the heartbeat of Tyson Foods. The Tyson plant on the north end of Waldron is the only thing that keeps the town on the map. Appropriately, many residents simply refer to it as the complex. That's because the Tyson plant isn't just a factory. It's more like an entire small-town economy consolidated into one property. The complex contains its own feed mill and hatchery, its own trucking line and slaughterhouse that covers several acres of land, and processes about one million dead chickens a week. The complex Is like an economic dark star that has drawn into itself all the independent businesses that used to define a small town like Waldron, the kinds of businesses that were once the economic pillars of rural America. Of course, tourists to Waldron would never see the Tyson plant, and not just because it sits on the north fringe of town away from Main Street. Visitors are stopped at its front gate and forbidden from exploring its grounds. So a tourist would have to be content to stroll along the sidewalks downtown, observing the fake Main Street, the deceptive array of little businesses that make it seem like a community. This illusory appearance cloaks Tyson's existence all the way from its roots in rural America to the grocery store shelves and restaurant menus where its products finally reach American consumers. The average shopper is usually fooled when he or she peruses the meat aisle, seeing what appears to be an abundance of choices and products. Tyson brand name wouldn't necessarily stand out with its logo gracing just a handful of products. But the rotisserie chicken slowly turning in its oven, the Benisi brand pepperoni, the Lady Astor brand chicken cordon bleu, the frozen chicken pot pie, and the right brand bacon all come from the same company, Tyson. And then there is all the unlabeled meat that Tyson floods into the U.S. food system every day. The meat served in cafeterias, nursing homes, fast food restaurants, and suburban eateries where more and more Americans eat their meals. There's a very good chance that any of the meat purchased in these places was made by Tyson. Even if Tyson did not produce a given piece of meat, the consumer is really only picking between different versions of the same commodified beef, chicken, and pork that is produced throughout a system that Tyson pioneered. Tyson's few competitors have resorted to imitating the company's business model just to survive. This book aims to explore the vast hidden territory between the remote farms and towns like Waldron, where Tyson raises millions of animals, and the final point of contact where consumers buy the company's meat. Unseen between these two poles is a hidden power structure that has quietly reshaped U.S. rural economies while gaining unprecedented control over the nation's meat supply. Just a handful of companies produce nearly all the meat consumed in the United States, and Tyson is the king among them. The company sits atop a powerful oligarchy of corporations that determines how animals are raised, how much farmers get paid, and how meat is processed, all while reaping massive profits and remaining almost entirely opaque to the consumer. Because Tyson and its imitators are based in the geographic and economic fringes of America in forgotten places like Waldron, the company has managed to escape the scrutiny it deserves. While Tyson's operations are remote, the company's business practices affect virtually everyone. About 95% of Americans eat chicken, which means they almost certainly eat chicken produced by Tyson. And then it goes on from there... Book is The Meat Rack: The Secret Takeover of America's Food Industry by Christopher Lutter.
2: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills.
3: And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. On the line with us is uh, Adrian Shelley. Adrian is the director of the Public Citizen Texas office, citizen.org. And uh, Adrian's Twitter handle is Adrian Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Adrian, welcome to the program. Tell me about the Trump administration's rollback of the methane rules. First of all, what were they? What are they now? And why does this matter? Hey, Tom,
5: thanks for having me on. Uh, So, you know, this is... uh just the latest effort by the Trump administration to undo public health and safety rules that were put in place during the Obama administration. This rule is about methane emissions from the oil and gas industry. Methane accounts for about 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, so it is a major driver of climate change. And as oil and gas drilling has exploded across the United States, and especially in places like Pennsylvania and Texas, methane emissions have increased dramatically. So we're talking about climate change, but we're also talking about health and environmental impacts for people who live in places like West Texas, where there's a lot of oil and gas drilling going on.
3: So if methane accounts for 10% of our Uh, Is this Texas-wide or or nationwide, 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions?
5: This is nationwide. Um, Most of us think of carbon dioxide as the main greenhouse gas pollutant driver of climate change, but methane is actually 84 times as potent as CO2. So we have less- That's where I was going.
3: If it's 80 times more potent and it's 10% of our emissions, then it's 800, (laughs) doing math in my head is not my strong point, (laughs) but that means it's a far more consequential greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide.
5: So it's about
3: 10% of the
5: effects in the United States, but in certain places, it's a huge driver. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, in Texas, for example, in the Permian Basin, we just had an explosion of drilling out there in the last couple of years. We are wasting 1.4 million metric tons of methane every year in Texas. That would produce enough energy to power every house in Dallas and Houston combined. And we're just wasting it right now.
3: By just letting it gas out into the environment? Yeah, we let it leak into the
5: environment. We burn it off because it's inconvenient uh, to sell it into the market. Uh, You know, it's just the latest symptom of what the oil and gas industry is up to these days, which, frankly, is kind of an 11th hour grab. You know, this is an industry whose days are numbered and is being increasingly reckless in its operations.
3: So what was the law and what is the law or will be the law if Trump's rollback of these regulations stand?
5: Sure. So these were some pretty practical controls. There's been a rule in place since 2016. It included programs for leak detection, finding errant emissions of methane and ending them. It included transmission and storage. So not just the wellhead, but the pipelines, the compressor stations, things like that. Those were included in the rule, and they have been accepted now. So it's basically undoing rules that were already in place. And in fact, rules that industry supported, the Obama era rules were supported by Shell, ExxonMobil, BP, you know, companies that understand that methane is a major problem and that people are demanding solutions. So, it's so not who as paid as Trump, as Trump as to undo as these. As one of these? He is. He's undoing them. He's undoing them. No, but I mean, who you
3: paid know, for not- that? Who lobbied him to make that happen?
5: you know, we're not really sure. We think, frankly, that it's just part of the Trump vendetta against the Obama administration. There have been plenty of rules that have been undone, even though industry isn't asking for them. You know, this rule, uh, when it was originally proposed, was supposed to save industry $19 million a year, which sounds like a lot to you and me, but for companies like, you know, ExxonMobil and Shell, a couple million dollars a year is nothing.
3: Yeah, it's like 16 minutes of revenue or something. Sure, it's a
5: rounding error. So it's not a rule that industry was even asking for. You know, we went to Dallas and we spoke in opposition of this rule repeal. And there were representatives from industry right there next to us saying that they were okay with this rule. They were already operating under it. It was helping them to save product. and There wasn't any need to roll it back,
3: but here we are. We're talking with Adrian Shelley, the director of the Public Citizen Office uh, in Texas. Citizen.org is the website. Adrian Shelley is the Twitter handle and Public Citizen TX as well. Adrian, final question, I guess, is what can we do about this? And what are you guys doing about this specifically down in Texas?
5: Well, we spoke out against the federal rule repeal and we asked our members to do the same. We had folks across the United States tell the EPA that they didn't want this rule repeal. You know, it is happening. Some of our efforts kind of falling on deaf ears. We're also turning to state regulators. Here in Texas, it's the Railroad Commission that regulates oil and gas, and they are seriously considering controls to limit methane pollution. You know, it it just makes sense. We want energy independence in the united states and that means using the resources that we have rather than wasting them so we're appealing yep. to our state regulators as well as our federal regulators and we're asking people to do the same thing great
3: adrian shelley citizen.org public citizen in texas adrian thanks for dropping by it's great talking with you thanks for having me my pleasure and you are always welcome here Farah in lancaster california hey Farah, what's up
0: good morning tom i'm calling from tb valley california and my concern was within the four months that it's going to take the election and also Joe Biden, you know, to become a president, we are losing life. And if we right. play this game with Donald Trump, we are going to lose, you know, more life. That's what is matters to me life because these people are father mother sister brother and children of people and no one you know there there is no replacement and please you know you know voice my opinion that this lunatic man he should step down
3: asap from the White House because he is killing people. I, I completely agree with you, Farah. But if he steps down, Mike Pence becomes president and he's just as bad. Nine years before the oligarchs of the South declared war against the North because they wanted to preserve slavery, in fact, they wanted to impose slavery in the North. Uh, Many of these guys that these monuments have been built to just came right out and said it. Uh, Nine years before that began, Frederick Douglass gave a speech saying, what to the slave is the 4th of July? A good and important question. It continues to be a question because slavery is still legal in the United States. The 13th Amendment said that slavery can only exist under the color of law. If somebody is, is charged or convicted of a crime then they can be held as a slave. And it's still going on in the United States. In fact, it's the main reason why we have more prisoners than any other country in the world, free labor. And then on top of that, we find that the police departments that get more 1033 equipment, they kill more people. Check it out at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I, I told you I was going to talk about America's super rich, uh, throwing parties and, and uh, escaping on jets and things amid COVID-19. It's, it's worse than you think. It turns out these people have got instant tests, rapid response tests, a 15-minute test, the ones that they're using in the sports teams, the ones that they use at the White House. Donald Trump made sure that these were not produced by government agencies. They're produced by private for-profit corporations. So anybody who's got the money can get them. And they're not going to our schools, they're not going to our hospitals, they're not going to the military, they're not going to, to uh, you know our first responders, they're not going to our frontline workers, they're not going to stores, retail stores, so that they can test their employees every day. They're not going to our schools so that we can test teachers. No, they're being bought up by billionaires so that they can have parties. I'm not making this up. There's a big article about this in Vanity Fair. And then, you know, a whole bunch of uh, shorter pieces that kind of summarize it. The one I have here in front of me is over at the DailyMail.co.uk by Emily Crane. America's super rich are throwing parties where guests are offered 15 minute rapid COVID-19 tests and using their private jets to avoid having to stay in hot spots amid the pandemic. While a thousand Americans are dying every day, Silicon Valley's elite have been carrying on with their lives and socializing as if everything was normal. A source told Vanity Fair, quote, all these rich people, they can't stop themselves, said one person who has ties to tech CEOs and venture capitalists. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg was spotted last month riding a $12,000 electric surfboard during a vacation with his family in Hawaii. Uber co-founder Travis Kalanick is reportedly among those throwing outdoor parties at his $43 million home in Los Angeles. Before you can get in, of course, you've got to do one of these 15-minute tests. Another unnamed billionaire has been throwing lavish parties where guests are have to have, to have a 15-minute rapid COVID-19 test before they're allowed inside. Some investors in L.A. and Silicon Valley are also renting mansions in Palm Springs that cost about $50,000 a month just so they can host parties. Billionaires have also been using their jets to go from COVID-19 safe zones as the outbreak spreads around the country. One investor was in Miami at the beginning of the pandemic before moving to Los Angeles. And then when Los Angeles heated up, he moved to New York, which has now cooled back down again. It's, uh, It's really remarkable. The demand for private jets has skyrocketed amid the pandemic, with inquiries up 195% in June of this year compared to last year, according to NetJets. Some billionaires and multimillionaires are even paying $2.6 million to get citizenship in foreign countries. There's a number of small countries that will sell you citizenship for a few million bucks so that they can leave the United States. You can't, Europe will not admit you if you have an American passport, in fact, you know, most countries around the world will not will not let you come in as an American because America has the worst COVID outbreak in the world. We've got almost 6 million infected people. We've got, you know, we're going on 200,000 dead Americans. Worse than literally any other country in the world and it's continuing at a rate that is beating every other country in the world. It's insane. And countries won't let us in. So what's happening? Billionaires are buying citizenship in other countries so that they can fly in on their private jets. And how can they afford to do that? Well, from mid-March to mid-May, U.S. billionaires added over $700 billion to their wealth. Almost a trillion dollars. This is where we're at. Meanwhile, if you look at American households... This is from Bloomberg.com. Almost a third of people in some states have little or no confidence that they can pay August August's rent or mortgage. One third. In mid-July, more than a third of New Yorkers experienced housing insecurity. In the Houston area, the figure approached 40%. Housing insecurity means you're almost homeless. 127 million Americans. Keep in mind, there's only 340 million of us. There's only roughly 50 million of us in the workforce. 127 million Americans experienced a loss of income since mid-March. More than half of households have experienced a loss of income since March 13th. Researchers found that pandemic-induced layoffs were responsible for 11.6 million job losses, and another 6.9 million were due to the unavailability of childcare. The total number of people who don't have enough to eat as a result of the pandemic. You've seen these pictures of these mile long long lines to get to food pantries. 23.8 million people for the weekend in July 24th. An increase of 6 million from the first week of May. 23.8 million people don't have enough to eat. That includes millions of children. And what is Trump doing about this? Absolutely nothing. He's shutting down the mail. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in a study conducted in May and June found that more than 10% of adults seriously considered suicide. A figure that is more than one quarter, rose to more than one quarter among 18 to 24 year olds. They also found a jump in substance abuse and mental health disorders. The Census Bureau found that more than 70 million American adults did not get healthcare that they needed between mid-June and mid-July because they were afraid of getting COVID if they went to the doctor's office. A lot of people with little problems are going to discover those little problems are big problems a few months down the road because of Trump's incompetence.
1: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
3: The hidden history of the war on voting tells how the GOP has been stealing elections for decades and will again this year, unless we stop them. We're putting together a series of American history books It started with the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican War on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. So Bob Woodward has uh, tape. Jared Kushner referring to people in the Trump orbit as overconfident idiots and saying that Trump, he, you know, Prince Jared and Princess Ivanka and Trump have executed essentially a hostile takeover of the Republican Party. And Jared was on TV on the Today Show and said, well, I've got tapes too. So they went to Woodward and Woodward said, well, I gave him the courtesy of telling him that I was recording him he apparently never told me that he was recording me, although I suspect that he was. But, you know, in the future, we're going to be releasing a few more of these Jared tapes now that <laughs> I, think, I think Prince Jared may have stepped in it. You know, we'll see how this shakes out. But anyhow, meanwhile, in Texas, it looks like all of the information that people have has just gone to hell. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. Last week, Texas hit the grim milestone of 10,000 people dead from coronavirus. Now, if you had 10,000 people in one state who were dead from, say, some terrorist incident, I mean, this is three times the number of people who died in 9-11. If you had 10,000 people dead from that, we would have, I mean, that, that produced, one-third of that produced the Department of Homeland Security and the Patriot Act. If you had 10,000 people dead from mass shootings, we'd have gun control. If you had 10,000 people dead from some guy saying he represented Antifa, you'd have a national crackdown. But Texas, eh. This is from the Daily Beast. It's, for, it's by Olivia Messer. She says, last week, Texas hit the grim milestone of 10,000 COVID deads. That is, it did if you went by local news outlets or the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. But the Texas Department of State Health Services didn't report a similar figure until around 5 p.m. on Monday. That's a week later. The state, she notes, has endured weeks of data woes, sowing distrust across Texas. State officials have blamed coding errors, system upgrades, backlogs, Right. So these are the excuses that Texas is giving. I think that you and I both know that all these excuses are complete BS, just like, you know, Donald Trump handing off to a private for-profit corporation, all the data on the coronavirus, you know, the same thing. And by the way, let me just digress for a moment. This is at the federal level. Teletracking Technologies is a company that is owned by one very, very rich guy who may well be, I haven't seen specific evidence, but I'm seeing people all over the place talking about it, may well be a major Trump donor. He got a no-bid contract to take over the database of COVID information in hospitals from the CDC. And when the Senate subpoenaed him, and said, we would like to talk to you, we would like to ask you questions about this giant multi-million dollar no-bid contract, and why it is that the CDC used to report this information on a same-day basis, and you're not. You're basically burying this information. We'd like to know what the hell's going on. And his response was, I can't tell you anything because I signed a non-disclosure agreement with Health and Human Services. Trump doesn't just have porn stars and playboy bunnies with whom he's had sex sign non-disclosure agreements. He doesn't just have corrupt lawyers who cut deals with foreign oligarchs sign non-disclosure agreements. He apparently is having private for-profit corporations, in this case, teletracking technologies, to which he has outsourced all of our information and news about the coronavirus. He has them sign non-disclosure agreements. And they're using this to say, therefore, we can't talk to the United States Senate, who appropriated the damn $10 million that is being given to them. I mean, this is wrong on so many levels. This all happened back in July, when Donald Trump announced that he was no longer going to have this information from hospitals go to the CDC, where it's gone for decades the C D C has this, they've got it figured out, they got a website, they got they distribute the information, it's how hospitals know how to plan for what's coming down the road, all this kind of stuff. He took it all away from the C D C and gave it to, you know, a crony. The guy's name is Michael Zamagias, Z A M A G I A S, who owns teletracking, and he is a Pittsburgh real estate developer. Think about that for a minute. Our coronavirus information at a national level is no longer available to us and is scrambled since July because a real estate developer from Pittsburgh has been given a no-bid contract to handle that data. Honest to God, not making this up. This is from the friggin' New York Times. The headline, the manager of the Trump administration's new virus database refuses Senate questioning citing a non-disclosure agreement. The private health technology vendor refused to answer questions from top Senate Democrats about its $10.2 million contract saying it signed a non-disclosure agreement with the Federal Department of HHS of Health and Human Services. A spokeswoman for the Department of Health and Human Services said members of Congress should direct their inquiries to the government, not the company. But Senator Patty Murray of Washington, the top Democrat in the Senate Health Committee, sent a letter to the agency in June seeking similar information and has not received a reply. You get this? So Alex Azar, the guy who doubled the price of insulin when he was running Eli Lilly, he now runs our Health and Human Services Department. He's saying to the Senate, if you want to know about this private contract with Teletracking Services and the Pittsburgh real estate developer, multimillionaire guy who owns it, that has deep-sixed and buried our coronavirus information, you want to know about that? Ask us. Ask the government agency. So Senator Murray reaches out to them and says, yeah, we'd like to ask you about it, and they don't answer her emails or her letters. Now, maybe it's stuck in the mail, right? No, I say that facetiously. No answer. So then they reach out to the company itself and say, you know, we'd like you to tell us. The company says, no, I can't tell you because I signed a confidentiality agreement. This is the Trump administration saying, screw you to every American. This is Donald Trump telling us that he doesn't give a rat's ass about the health of Americans. He doesn't care about Americans who are dying from COVID. He doesn't care about young Americans, people in the 20s, 30s, and 40s who are getting COVID and 80% of them having long-lasting heart damage. New study out. And he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about any of this stuff. He just cares about creating enough chaos that people will be afraid to go vote unless they happen to live in the Fox bubble where they think that it's just the flu. You know, which brings us back to the, you know, this statistic that, I'll quote it. Among those who say they will vote by mail, 81% support Biden, 14% support Trump. So let's blow up the post office. I mean, this is, Evil. And now it's happening in Texas too. And, you know, do you think that Greg Abbott is just like, you know, first when the question was asked, okay, Texas, why is it that we can't get this information? And they said, oh, well, we've had coding errors. Well, then the coding errors were solved and there's still no information. So why is it that we now can't get the information? And then they said, well, we're having system upgrades. And then after the system upgrades were done, well, can we get the information now? No, I'm sorry, we've got backlogs. Presumably caused by the coding errors and the system upgrades. So we wait and we wait and we say, uh, how about now? And they say, well, you know, we've had a change in methodology, so we're handling the data differently. So that old data will never be available and the new data, we've got to run it through a whole new process and I'm sorry, it's just gonna take some time. And then finally, you know, people said, well, okay, you've had a few weeks to do that. What's, what's your excuse now? And the, the new excuse is that the federal government, the Donald Trump administration, closed some of the testing centers. Honest to God, this is what the Abbott administration is telling the citizens of Texas. Olivia Messer reporting about it over at the Daily Beast. The vice chancellor for health affairs at the University of Texas system And a member of the Texas Medical Association COVID Task Force, Dr. David Lakey, said, and I quote, it's not making sense. Gee, you think? Lakey said, all of a sudden, it looked like death skyrocketed. Well, that's because they were lying to us about what was happening before they could no longer cover it up. Mind boggling.